This is a very serious podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Splanknicks. Today, Claire and Hannah leave the planet. Stay tuned. Welcome to Splanknicks, the Society for the Preservation of Literature, the Arts, Numinosity, Culture, Humor, <laughs> Nerdiness, Inspiration, Creativity, and Storytelling. Welcome back, everybody, to Splanknicks. I'm your host, independent author Claire T. Walker, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, my daughter, Hannah Kubiak. Hello. This is Season 2, Episode 7 of the podcast. We invite you to subscribe by gently tapping the subscribe button on your podcast catcher app. Also, if you want to see occasional pictures of Hannah and I doing nerdy stuff like playing board games, we're also on Instagram. Our handle is at Splanknicks underscore podcast. And I've also started putting short two or three minute videos of, of books that I happen to be reading on there. They're called like unboxings, I guess, of a book, if oh, you will. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You can also send us an email. What's what? the email address, Hannah? Oh, the email address is splanknickspodcast at gmail.com. So as I said earlier, today, Hannah and I are leaving the planet. We are going to Mars. Today is a book club episode, and we're doing The Martian Chronicles by Ray Bradbury. Some, but first, some Splanknicks trivia. Episode 17 in season one was also a June book club, and it was also a book by Ray Bradbury. We did Fahrenheit 451. No kidding. Yeah. It was also in June. Yeah, it was our June book club last year. <laughs> wow. So, Yeah. Season one, episode 17. So that is a Fahrenheit 451 is a great book by us, Ray Bradbury. It's a dystopic future in which books are banned and people zone out on electronic media. So if you're new to Splanknicks, do go back and listen to that episode. So let's talk about Ray Bradbury. Hannah, who was he? Well, uh, he was an American author born in Waukegan, Illinois in 1920. His family moved to Los Angeles when he was 14, and that's where he spent most of his career as a writer. He died in 2012. Uh, he wrote in multiple genres, fantasy, science fiction, horror, mystery, and sort of like memoir-like short stories. He wrote tons of short stories and some well-known novels, including The Martian Chronicles, The Illustrated Man, and Fahrenheit 451. So Bradbury is often listed as one of the big four of, the, of science fiction. The other three are Isaac Asimov, Robert Heinlein, and Arthur C. Clarke. But when he was a young man, he joined the Los Angeles Science Fiction Society, and at those meetings... He met a lot of science fiction writers who were contemporaries of his, including Heinlein, and also other big names in the genre, like Frederick Brown, who was the author of Martians Go Home, Lee Brackett, Henry Kuttner, author of Robots Have No Tales, and Jack Williamson. I'm going to confess, I don't know who a lot of those people are. I'm just, uh, I'm just looking at... What you've uh, very kindly researched for me. They were big <laughs> names back in the day, back in the in the golden age of science fiction. Science fiction back in the 30s and 40s, they mm -hmm. were big, big names, and they uh, are you know considered some of the some of the vanguard authors in in the genre. Okay, yeah, and there is this 
question that people ask, was he in fact a science fiction author? And um, we'll get to that in a minute. So let's talk a little bit about the, the, the publication history of the Martian Chronicles. It was first published in book form in 1950, although many of the stories in it had been previously published in various science fiction magazines in the late 1940s. And the way it came about is that Bradbury had been earning a living writing short stories since the mid 1940s when he was in his early 20s. Um, he was a young man when he started his science fiction writing career, or let me just say writing career in general. But the publication of the Martian Chronicles was uh, quite a pivotal moment in his career because in the publishing deal for that, he received a large advance for it and for the illustrated man. So it was a two book deal. And the advance was $1,500. This is in 1950. Hmm. And he says in the, uh, I actually read this in the introduction to the edition of the Martian Chronicles that you have, Hannah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The advance for that was $1,500, which he says paid for their $30 per month rent of their apartment for two years and delivered their first child. Wow. So I did a little research on this. I thought that $1,500 in 1950, that, okay, we know that that's equivalently more than what $1,500 would be here. So I, I, mm -hmm. I, uh, I ran uh, that number, $1,500, through one of those calculate prices from the past in today's dollars. Yeah, there, those sites are online. Right, right. And it came out when I typed in, you know, 1950 and uh, to 2021. The, the amount of $1,500 is the equivalent of about sixteen dollars to $17,000 in today's dollars. Whew. So, but that, that's a pretty good advance for a first time author um, who had written short stories up to that point. But I also ran a comparison to today's actual rent and medical costs just to see what exactly he was, he was talking about. Cause I, I, I discovered that that money probably went a lot farther in 1950 than 16 or $17,000 would go Mm -hmm. in our day and age. Mm -hmm. um, so I use my amazing Splantnik's math skills <laughs> to think about this. Around here, um, we're in the Chicago area, I am anyway, a one bedroom starter apartment that's not very new or updated goes for about a thousand a month. Okay. Mm -hmm. For a nice one bedroom apartment, it's maybe 1300, 1500 even. But let's just go ahead and, and say that they were in a $1,000 per month apartment because um, he and his wife were, were young. Mm -hmm. uh, newly married, just starting out. So $1,000 per month rent for two years is $24,000. So that advance that he received is it was at least the equivalent in rent payments of a $24,000 advance on two books. Mm -hmm. The cost for prenatal care and delivery, because he said that the that $1,500 advance paid for the delivery of his first child. Mm -hmm. Cost for prenatal care and delivery by an obstetrician plus hospital costs, plus anesthesiology if necessary. There, there's actually a calculator where you can, you can type all this stuff in and figure out how much it would cost you if you had to pay for this out of pocket. Wow. It's about $20,000. What? Uncomplicated, normal birth. What? So 20,000. Yeah, about $20,000. I mean, I would do it for a lot less than that, depending on, you know, where you go or where you live or, you know, what, what your arrangements are. But in today's expenses though, Bradbury's advance on the Martian Chronicles and, and the Illustrated Man, that would be like getting a forty dollars to $50,000 advance on, on, a, on a book now. So that definitely is, is career making. Oh my gosh. You, you can live on that for a year if you scrimp. 
and depending on where you live. Mm-hmm. So let me just give you though a little inside baseball. That sounds like a lot. Like you know, imagine um, going out and you've written some short stories that have been published in some magazines, which is not as easy to do these days as it was, because short stories are very seldom published anywhere, let alone in magazines these days. But back mm-hmm. in that, back in those times, magazines, a lot of magazines publish short stories, and there are a lot of magazines that exist solely for the purpose of publishing short stories. There's hardly mm-hmm. any of those right now. And even if there are, they sometimes pay literally in copies. Yep. Or for a subscription to the to the thing for a year. Yep. I've I've anyway. looked for places to submit stuff to before and been very disappointed. When they yep, say, we won't pay you, but we'll send you a free subscription to this magazine for a year. It's I very think, disappointing. I don't want that. Yeah. You you I don't know how anyone can make a living <laughs> writing short stories these days. But so anyway, it'd be something but, that I can transform into food. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But a little inside baseball about the publishing industry. Mm-hmm. First time authors, especially a fiction, do not make $50,000 advances. Yeah, no, I wasn't. Not for, probably not even for two books. Maybe, certainly not for one book, maybe not even for two books. A $50,000 advance would be more for what they call a mid-list author. You know, not one of the big bestsellers, but somebody who's a, what they call a mid-list author, a reliable author who already has a track record of sales. For first-time authors, believe it or not, you're more likely to get something like a three to five thousand dollar advance. Mm-hmm. And right off the bat, fifteen percent of that is going to go to your agent. And then, if enough of those books sell, and then during the the, the selling of the book, you don't receive any royalties until you have sold enough books to earn the equivalent in royalties of what your advance was. That's what the advance is. It's a, it's a, it's short for an advance on royalties. Uh-huh. So only if you quote, quote unquote, what they call earn out your advance, do you start to see royalty payments and royalty payments typically for traditionally published books amount to usually under 10% of the retail price of the book. Okay. So this is sounding worse and worse. The more. Oh we talk yeah. About well, it. this, this Hannah, this is why independent publishing is, is, has taken off like a lion and it has Mm -hmm. gotten big since like 2011, 2012. People figured this out. Um, Most, this is a dirty little secret of the publishing industry that many, many published authors who you've heard of Mm -hmm. do not make their living from their writing. They have to support themselves in other ways. You know, uh, that's why I'm an independent author. You know, I publish my books myself through a print on demand service and I keep a much higher percentage of the sale price of each book. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, a $50,000 advance as a first-time author, no way. Six-figure advance, seven-figure advance, forget about it, unless you're already a household name. Mm-hmm. But Ray Bradbury came of age as a writer in the good old days when large advances were more common, you know, people read more. You could mm-hmm. actually make a living as a short story writer. Science fiction and fantasy were becoming very popular genres. So the Martian Chronicles launched Bradbury from a freelance writer selling stories to magazines to a top-tier author with a real publishing contract. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind also that back in those days, publishing companies and editors and, and agents took the time and effort to build and nurture the careers of the authors they took on. Well, doesn't that sound nice? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a thing. I mean, uh, it's not like that anymore. It's not like that anymore. Um, but that that could be the topic for another podcast. But just be aware that, you know, Brad, Ray Bradbury and, and all of these, you know, uh, authors from that era, um, you know, they were they were writing in the golden age of, of publishing probably, too. But yeah. anyway, so I have a hardcover book club edition 
published in 1958. The original publication date of the book was 1950. I have a book club edition published in 1958. And Hannah, I think the edition you have was one that originally came out, kind of an updated version of the thing in 1997. Mm -hmm. They reprinted it again in 2006. And then they reprinted another one in 2011. And these are these reprints of the book included an introduction by Bradbury, which is really good, really illuminating. Yeah. And it included um, two stories that were not found in the 1950 edition. Yeah. One story from the 1950 version was omitted from this updated version, mm-hmm. mostly because of some of the language employed in it. Mm-hmm. And the uh, you'll notice if you read this book, um, every every chapter every story has a date and in the first version the very first story is dated in 1999 and that's when the rockets leave earth for the first time to go to mars yeah and that's in my my version the 1950 version what what is the date in the one that you have hannah in mine it's january 2030. okay so they've jumped forward 30 mm-hmm. years so our, our our first uh manned uh uh trip to mars is uh imagined to take place in 2030. Right. So let's jump into the book. Okay. Um, So it's not a novel. It's more like, um, it's not even really a short story collection. It's something kind of in between the two. It's a series of linked stories. It's something called, some people call it a novel in stories. And what links the stories in this book is the setting. They're all about Earth expeditions to Mars and the adventures and misadventures of the people on Mars. So there's a lot of long stories interdispersed with short vignettes. So there's some, I'm going to give some other examples of linked stories or novel in stories. The Canterbury Tales is like this. Uh, the Things They Carried by Tim O'Brien, I Robot by Isaac Asimov. All of his stories are about robots and the three laws of robotics. We did a we did an episode about our favorite science fiction books. Um, yeah, and we talked about I Robot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you want to hear more about that, go listen to that episode. And also uh, Winesburg, Ohio by Sherwood Anderson. Bradbury himself wrote a uh, another link of stories. Um, it's uh, it's called Dandelion Wine. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and that's um, and, and it's funny. Um, in the introduction to the edition of the book that you have, Bradbury describes this as his other book of stories, pretending to be a novel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, um, and it's interesting that Winesburg, Ohio, that novel, that book by Sherwood Anderson, is the thing that inspired Bradbury to do the Martian Chronicles, because I think he might have had some some ideas or some stories about Martians and Mars in his head and some of them already published. And he had the idea to, to write a collection of Mars stories and put them in together, you know, knit them all together into a single volume. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and so 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 these kind of this kind of framing device where you where you link um, a bunch of stories together to sort of tell an overarching uh, narrative. It's not the same as an as a novel because you switch and you have different stories and different time periods. It's it's a very interesting framing device and um, a framing device is something that authors use to. It, it's a narrative device that maybe assists them in getting in telling the story or in drawing the reader into the story. Mm-hmm. For example, in in the Canterbury Tales, that the journey. Is, is the frame 
They're all going on this pilgrimage to the shrine of St. Thomas of Canterbury and telling these tales along the way. Right. In the things they carried, the memories of the soldiers of Alpha Company are the story or, or the frame. And the, the, the stories uh, jump backwards and forwards in time. They jump from Vietnam to back in their in their childhood days and into their after Vietnam days. And it's all um, but the but the, the mem their memories of um, of their lives centered around their their service in the Vietnam War is, is, is the frame of the story. Mm -hmm. In yeah. in iRobot, the technology is the frame, and those three laws of robotics are the frame. Yeah, every story in there has some relation to that law of robotics. Mm -hmm. And then, like like you said, in Winesburg, Ohio, Martian Chronicles, Dandelion Wine, the setting is the frame. Mm -hmm. So so it's a really interesting um, narrative device. Is um, it work as thematically? It just sort of gets you as a reader into the mindset of here I am on Mars. And here are the here are the stories. Yeah. Speaking of which, shall we jump into the stories? Yeah, we're going to talk about some of our favorite stories from the book. With um, like, give a little couple of little commentaries on those. Um, which ones were which which were your favorite stories from the book? Well, I I liked. Uh, it's called Illa. Mm hmm. That's a story of the first expedition to Mars. I'll just list them all, and then we can go back and, and, and talk okay. the ones that I that I really enjoyed. I also enjoyed And the Moon Be Still as Bright. Mm -hmm. That was about the fourth expedition to Mars. There's a story in there called Night Meeting, which mm -hmm. is one of my favorite stories just ever. Uh, and it's, it's so good. And that is about a meeting between a um, Earth person living on Mars and a Martian. Mm -hmm. um, one of the other uh, really great stories in the, in the collection is called Usher 2, mm -hmm. which um, if you if you recognize the name Usher, it does not refer to the current modern day um, hip hop rap artist named Caught Usher. Up, got me it, feeling it. No? No, it's not that. Okay. <laughs> it's not that. It's, it's based on Edgar Allan Poe's House of Usher. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, a guy who builds the house, a replica, a, a working replica of the house of Usher on Mars. Right. Another story that I really enjoyed was called The Long Years. Mm -hmm. And then one called There Will Come Soft Rains. Yeah. So Hannah, which ones, what, what, and I know that you have maybe had some other ones that you might have listed, but go ahead. List yeah, one yeah. I, um, I liked this one called The Earthmen where I think it was about the second expedition. Yes, the second expedition. Because yeah, the folks was... from the first expedition showed up in a Martian, almost immediately killed them. Uh, <laughs> Spoiler alert for Illa, the first expedition did not end well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think this was the second expedition. It is, yeah. And the they show expedition. up, they show up and the, the Martians have the ability to, they communicate via like telepathy, and hypnotic suggestion and stuff. And so they, when the, when the Earthmen come, they assume that the Earthmen are just Martians who think that they're from Earth and have changed their appearance to reflect that. And so these, these Earthmen, when they arrive, they don't get, they don't get 
immediately killed, they get immediately put into a Martian asylum. <laughs> so, yeah, they're assumed to be crazy, like suffering from a mass delusion. They're yeah, put into an yeah. asylum. Yeah. And um, one of the things that's, go, keep going, keep going. Yeah. And um, one of my favorite, one of my favorite lines from that is there's this psychologist who is talking to the captain of the earth ship and he he says your insanity is beautifully complete <laughs> and <laughs> what the a thing great about line. yeah in the the and the martians if a martian is insane they can they can make that insanity into a believable hallucination so the psychologist that other, people, that other people can see that other, other people, people can, can see. see yeah so yeah. they take the psychologist to come and see their rocket ship because that will prove that they are humans the psychologist like he looks at the ship and he's like may i go inside and they're like yes of course and he goes in and then he comes back out and he's like this is the most incredible example of sensual hallucination and hypnotic suggestion i've ever encountered I went through your rocket, as you call it. He tapped the hull. I hear it, auditory fantasy. He drew his breath. I smell it, olfactory hallucination induced by sensual telepathy. He kissed the ship. I taste it. May I congratulate you? You are a psychotic genius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, and, that... Um, and the fourth and the second expedition um, doesn't end well either. No. Um, Okay, keep going. I've listening to your, your favorite stories. Yeah, so the Earthmen. And then I also, oh, there's a little bit of overlap with our favorite stories, which makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. And The Moon Be Still is Bright is, my, is one of my favorites as well. I also enjoyed Usher 2 and The Long Years. The Long Years. I'll say that into the microphone instead of off to the side so you can right. hear um one of my favorite short story collections is the science fiction hall of fame volume one right you talked about that in that episode about our favorite yeah. science fiction which yeah. lists all of the um uh well just the great some of the greatest science fiction stories ever and a story by uh ray bradbury's in here it's called mars is heaven mm -hmm. it's the third expedition that comes to earth or that mm -hmm. comes to mars N Neither does that end well. These, these, these expeditions are not going well uh, um, coming no. to Mars, but it's called Mars is Heaven in, um, in its original form when it was published in 1948 as a short story. It was included in the Martian Chronicles. I believe it's just called The Third Expedition. Oh, okay. See, I was wondering. What... Yeah. In your edition of the book, do you have Mars is Heaven or is it still called The Third Expedition? It's the, it's the Third Expedition. Okay. Yeah. Uh... It was published in uh, the Science Fiction Hall of Fame as Mars is Heaven. <gasps> remember this one now i really yeah. like this one too yeah this one was pretty freaky oh man <laughs> where anyway, they come yeah. and 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 the town is everybody that they used to know back on earth yeah like all their dead relatives are there that's definitely a thing that the martians do to the earthmen a lot is, yeah. is put it into their minds that your um uh, that your things are the, are here on Mars. Everything looks basically like it does on Earth. Your people, your furniture, your houses, mm -hmm. all your stuff. It's kind of like they build these exact replicas of of Earth in the minds of the of the Earth. Yeah, men. things you thought you they, lost on Earth are here on Mars. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They do they do that quite a lot. So that's why it, the story is called Mars is Heaven. 
Mm-hmm. A, lot of, a lot of the people think that they've died and gone to heaven and are now, now seeing their, their loved ones. Right. All right. So you get the long years. So now Illa, the, the, the mood that he creates, it's such a quiet, surreal mood that contrasts uh, so effectively with what is going on mm-hmm. and what happens. What we have, what Illa is about, Illa is the name of a Martian woman. Mm-hmm. And she begins to have premonitions and visions about the coming of the Earthmen to Mars. She can see them in her mind and she, she, she can sort of has these conversations with them. The, 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 the Martians do have these, these sort of telekinetic and, and, and predictive sort of uh, mm-hmm. powers of premonition. They, they, they frequently are, are picking up uh, signals and seeing them or they're hearing you know, songs from the Earth, poems that were written on Earth that they're reciting and it doesn't make any sense to them, things like mm-hmm. that. So, and, and Illa realizes that, you know, she's, she's deeply um, uh, moved by this, this earth man and her husband becomes insanely jealous. <laughs> and there's, there's some interesting stuff in here. It's, this isn't necessarily germane to the, the, the story so much. Well, it, it is, let me just read this to you. Mr. K, Illa's husband was reading from a metal book with raised hieroglyphs over which he brushed his hand as one might play a harp. And from the book, as his fingers stroked, a voice sang. In the distance, Illa heard her husband playing his book steadily. His fingers never tired of the old songs. Quietly, she wished he might one day again spend as much time holding and touching her like a little harp as he did his incredible books. Now, a metal book with raised hieroglyphs over which you brush your hand and you make sounds and images um, come from it. What does that sound like? He's playing Angry Birds. Yeah, he's playing <laughs> Angry Birds. And she's wishing, I wish he would he would play Angry Birds with me. You know, he's, he's addicted to his electronic device. He's got his nose mm-hmm. in his screen and his fingers on it. You know, he's like, he's like the, the classical, you know, person of, uh, you know, how, why, why so many people in the modern world are suffering from, you know, anterior head carriage, you know, they're, we're always looking down at our, mm-hmm. at our screens and uh, craning our necks down. And, and I thought this was amazing. He wrote this story earlier than 1950, presumably, but anyway, it appeared in, in print in 1950, people with a metal tablet that they play with their fingers and sound and images come out of it. And they, they almost want to do nothing else. Mm-hmm. Um, it was another example of, of uh, Ray Bradbury's perhaps inadvertent prescience. Yeah. Because listen to this. He, you remember the, the quote that we read from him where he was talking about how he, he didn't mean to write predictive fiction, but yeah. Fahrenheit 451, but he remembered walking somewhere in Beverly Hills and seeing a person, a, a woman with one of those um, uh, transistor radio ear wires in, and mm-hmm. she was just listening to it so wrapped, wrapped with attention to it that her husband was literally guiding her up and down curbs because she wasn't paying any attention to where she was going. Yeah. And, you know, he didn't realize that he had predicted the onset of these handheld electronic devices that demand so much of our time and attention. And there's a quote from Bradbury, which I just loved. He said, people ask me to predict the future when all I want to do is prevent it. Mm -hmm. He 
he predicted the future in this in this story about the first expedition to Mars with uh, with Mr. K, as he's called, his Martian yeah. husband and his uh, and his addiction to his handheld device. Well, speaking of prescience, is that right? Do you want to talk mm -hmm. about Usher yeah. too? Yes. Okay. This kind of this is the this is the story that you can kind of see Fahrenheit four or five one in it, like the ideas about it. There was a great fire in which all of this man's books were burned. I think he's making direct reference to the world of Fahrenheit 451. Yeah. And well, I did he feel write like... this book before or after Fahrenheit 451? Well, Fahrenheit 451 was oh, wait, uh, 1953. In... And this but was... he did write, yeah, Fahrenheit 451, the book was published in 1953. But the, um, the, the original short story that upon which it was based is called The Fireman. And mm -hmm. that um, he published, let me see. Um, it doesn't say what year that was published. It was 25,000 words long. Oh, okay. But anyway, it, my, my impression too, is that he was definitely seemed to be referring to the world of Fahrenheit 451 in this story, Usher too, because they mm. were burning books, burning entire libraries. And this, right. this main character in Usher too, deliberately left earth in order to come to Mars, get away from that. Yeah. Gave, get away from the, the, the Department of Moral Climate, as, as they called it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he basically has this replica of the House of Usher built, knowing that pretty soon it's going to be torn down by moral climate. But he decides to have as much fun with the, with the House of Usher as possible before it gets torn down. So, <laughs> yeah. And it's so it's good, and there's some really fun allusions to uh, to Edgar Allan Poe stories in there. Mm -hmm. He basically reenacts quite quite a few of the the um, the, the things that happen in in some of those. Uh, yeah, like people get to watch um, very realistic androids of themselves being killed in like methods used in Edgar Allan Poe. Like one man got to watch himself being cut in half by the pendulum in the pit and the pendulum. <laughs> <laughs> and he yeah and he was just so excited and fascinated he said it was so interesting <laughs> hi this is claire from splank nicks hannah and i had a lot more to say about the martian chronicles that was part one of our book club episode we're going to do uh part two next week so we hope you join us then <laughs> how's that all right yeah okay should I try I think it again? So. No, I think it was good. Okay. <laughs>